Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It is. Friday, the 2nd of September, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Um, Love that you have chosen to spend some time with me today. I value that. I will make the most of it, I promise. So what are we doing here? If you're new, uh, we are trying to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the conversations, challenges, issues of the day. And so leading off, um, pretty much it doesn't matter where you might be tuning in today. People are going to be talking about the speech that the President of the United States gave last night in Philadelphia. Um, It continues on the theme that he established in his presidential campaign, um, uh, you know, on the subject or conversation about the soul of the nation. And so uh, I thought we would remind ourselves, you know, what are the roots of that idea the the idea that a nation has a soul is um, is something that was introduced by Plato in the Republic so now we're talking about oh, just a long long time ago right um, Plato talked about the state being infused with a soul that resembles the soul of an individual person he said um, we must not acknowledge that in each of us there are the same principles or habits which are from the state, but that from the individual, they pass into the state. So he's talking, um, the principles that he's talking about are reason, will, and appetite. And so uh, the reason that is shared among the people then passes into the way that the state thinks about things. That's the reason, the will, the will of the people um, passes into and then becomes the will of the state. And the appetites, the desires, the way that um, people feel about the things that they want. Temperance would be a conversation to have there. Um, Those pass into the state that those people collectively create. And so last night, President Biden, I will say, went all in um, on an agenda that very much is polarizing. I don't have another word for it. Um, He literally demonized people who uh, disagree with him and his party and his agenda. Um, He described them as thriving on chaos, and he used expressly biblical and theological language when he said that those people, his opponents, live not in the light of truth, but in the shadow of lies. Now, That's expressly biblical and theological language. And so before you imagine that I am talking about politics right now, I'm not. I'm talking about theology. I'm talking about how theology did play a significant role in the president's speech last night. There was a clear casting of good and evil, of light and dark, of truth and lies. Even the setting, President Biden standing in front of an eerily red-lit Independence Hall projected a sense of foreboding, 
There were two U.S. Marines standing a distance behind Biden, but clearly in the frame throughout the speech. Now, different people saw that differently. Everything today is open to interpretation. But what we see, the visuals and the stage that is set for us to see, is important. And this was clearly a stage set for um, a viewing audience, a video viewing audience. Why? Well, because there were only 300 people in attendance and they were all dignitaries and invited guests. Um, What you could not see is that they were sitting behind thick panes of bulletproof glass separating them from the president. So this was a made-for-TV event. And I just think that's important to acknowledge and recognize. The speech was strident. It was urgent. Um, He painted his own accomplishments as points of light and those who oppose him and his agenda as dark adversaries who are threatening the entire American experiment. The speech was designed to further fracture and divide those who stand in opposition to the agenda of the current administration. And I... I think that's important for people to understand. Um, He described, quote, MAGA forces as those, and I'm using quotes here, who, quote, determined, who are determined to take this country backwards, backwards to an America where there is no right to choose, no right to privacy, no right to contraception, no right to marry who you love. So it's clear that those are not only cultural um, issues, those are theological issues. And so I think it's important. Um, as Christians in the culture, to recognize that those issues are going to take center stage, not only in this election cycle, but in the election cycle that is yet before us in 2024. So let me just parse it out really quickly. Is there cause for concern about the status of the unique brand of democracy that we call the United States of America? Yeah, I think there is. We talk about it all the time. Is there cause for concern about the divisions among us? Yes. Is there a way forward? Yes. There's always a way forward. Is there a way forward together? Well, there better be. Because what becomes of the people that the president demonized last night in his speech if there's not a way forward together? How do you restore the body if your interest is not healing the whole, but like cutting off or casting out or culling from the herd those you detest? So my concern is not um, whether or not the man making the speech is politically red or blue. My concern is that he stands there as the person who is elected to serve as the president of all we the people, all of us, every one of us, those who agree with him and voted for him and those who do not agree with him and did not vote for him. So I do not see last night's speech by the president as particularly helpful in terms of turning down the heat or finding a way forward for the United States. I heard it and watched it as a catalyst for further polarization and, yeah, violence. The president did not call people down. He stirred them up, both on the political or proverbial right and on the left. And into that reality, you and I are going to walk today. So how are we going to stride? I'm advocating that we walk today as peacemakers. That you and I proceed today into the world as people who sow peace. It's a calling, it's a commission, it's also a question. And so if we circle back to yesterday's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, let us be people who are faithful in the small things today. Let us be the people who look for opportunities to do justice in small ways, love kindness in small things, and walk humbly with our God in small steps. 
If you do that and I do that, we can demonstrate to the world what it looks like for people who don't agree on it. Steve West is back. He's an attorney. He is here to help us understand some of the religious liberty things happening in the culture today. Uh, You can find him at World News Group and you should sign up for the Liberties Roundup. Steve, welcome back. Thank you, Carmen. Talk with us about um, a judge ruling to protect ER doctors' conscience rights. Well, the Biden administration uh, continues to push uh, abortion as well as it can, everywhere it can. And uh, one of those places is actually in the emergency room. So in Texas, uh, like some other states, uh, laws about abortion have sprung into existence. They're called trigger laws that have come into existence since the Dobbs decision uh, found that uh, abortion was not a constitutional right. So in Texas, uh, basically, you cannot get an abortion unless um, doctors cannot perform an abortion unless there is a threat to the mother's life. A mother's life is in danger. This includes you know, some of the common uh, types of situations, like an ectopic pregnancy, for example. Um, and you know, doctors are, are able to do them then. But the federal government, ha- there is a there is a law uh, that relates to emergency room practices. Uh, it's an older law. It's called the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act, and it requires that hospitals that participate in Medicare either stabilize a patient presenting with an emergency medical condition or transfer her to a hospital with facilities to do so. So there's some guidance that's been issued by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services recently in July that says that, um, basically says that um, an emergency medical condition is one where the health of the woman or uh, is in serious jeopardy uh, or there's some risk of serious uh, bodily function. Basically, it's a situation where the federal government is attempting to force these hospitals that receive Medicare to perform abortion, these doctors say, in situations where uh, they're elective abortions. They're not abortions that are strictly necessary to to uh, save the life of the woman. So Texas brought this lawsuit. Uh, a group of Christian doctors, physicians uh, joined the lawsuit as well. And here a judge found that the guidance was uh, outside the law, basically went farther than federal law went, because federal law also says that the uh, instructs physicians physicians to provide care for both the pregnant woman and the unborn child. Uh, here, this guidance issued by HHS uh, only speaks to the pregnant woman. You know what a lot of uh, uh, folks think is that this is really uh, a push to get. Um, to, to get these doctors on board with chemical abortions, abortions that are, uh, you know, caused by uh, pills that uh, women can take during the uh, first weeks of pregnancy. They can now obtain these by mail under FDA guidelines. But there are a lot of serious complications with these. So when they present at the medical, present at the emergency uh, uh, room with complications from a chemical abortion, one that they've induced at home, uh, then this is trying to force those doctors to perform pregnant, perform abortions on these women. So this is this is where the challenge is. And this judge struck down this particular regulation. I'm sure it'll be appealed uh, as well. All right. There's something called the um, Woke Act. Mm-hmm. 
Stop Woke Act. We're going to talk next about what, what I'm going to, I don't even know what it is. So I'm going to ask Steve West, what is the Woke Act or what is the Stop Woke Act or how can we stop the Woke Act? Yep, that's up next. Trail Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Whatever you do, just don't look back Somebody needs a lot to have All right, uh, Florida tried to implement um, a law that's called the Stop Woke Act. Stop wrongs to our kids and employees. Measure um, amended the state civil rights law to bar schools and employers from requiring employees to attend training that promotes certain categories of Anti-racist concepts, uh, such training has proliferated across the country, often under the heading of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We talked a little bit about this in relationship to higher ed, um, but this is um, uh, an effort by the state of Florida um, across really a wide swath of of activities, including education and even private business. So how did a judge um, see this and how did a judge rule on this? Uh, Steve West from World News Group and Liberties Roundup is here to explain. Right, Carmen. Well, this is a law that um, also it it also impacts school employees, so teachers. But this particular lawsuit, this part of it, deals with private employers. So keep that in mind: it's private employers. And you know, it's one of those examples of a good law that um, may have gone too far. So here's what happens with the law: when you actually say aloud what is prohibited by the law, it's pretty shocking that these concepts would be taught at all. So the concepts that are barred from training by employers for employees that are barred by this law includes teaching that one race is morally superior to another, that a person is inherently racist or sexist simply by virtue of their race or sex, or that virtues such as merit, excellence, hard work, fairness, neutrality, objectivity, and racial colorblindness are racist or sexist. Now, you know, most of us would say certainly those things shouldn't be taught. But here the court, um, here, here the government is trying to tell a private employer that in their training they should not teach these particular concepts. As, as objectionable as those might be, uh, some would argue that this is, this is uh, something that the government should not do. And in fact, the court here found that the law constituted a viewpoint-based restriction on private speech which violates the First Amendment. You know, it said companies can, uh, this is a particular viewpoint that these companies may have. Companies have First Amendment rights, and they should be able to do this if they want to. So they put, the judge put a temporary hold on this particular activity. The state came back with the argument by the state was, well, we're not, we're not saying that the, the uh, companies cannot train on these things. It's just we're saying that the law regulates conduct. They can't force the employees to actually attend the training. So I'm sure there'll be an appeal of this case as well. Uh, 
and but it seems like perhaps these particular kinds of uh, battles perhaps should not go on in the courts, but are a matter of persuasion. Or perhaps if you're a prospective employee, you ask about the kind of training that's going to be taught, and if you disagree with this kind of training, perhaps you look for jobs somewhere else, and companies will get the idea that you know this is this is not going over well with with people we want to hire, and uh, we need to change our training. So maybe that's a tack to go down. But that's what's happening with that particular act. Yeah, and I guess, you know, in terms of how I would view this as a Christian, if the, you know, if I'm going to put the shoe on the other foot here for a minute, um, I want to be able in my own private business to teach according to my worldview, and I want to be able to teach expressly Christian virtues and values in terms of how we're going to operate in this particular business that I own or operate. Um, And so... You know, I'm, I don't want the state telling me I can't use Christian principles or virtues um, in, my, in my training of my employees. I mean, that's the culture that I'm trying to cultivate in that particular business. So these might be businesses that Christians don't want to work in um, if, you know, if this is the kind of culture and environment and training that, um, you know, that, that these businesses are going to insist on, on providing to their, uh, to their laborers. So... I mean, I, that would be my my view on it. Talk with us about this photographer um, who who a judge has ruled cannot be forced to um, to supply services for a same sex wedding. Right, that's a good decision out of a district court in uh, Kentucky uh, this week. Uh, just yeah, that a that a uh, photographer uh, who limits her wedding photography business business to opposite sex couples or for. And or from explaining why her religious beliefs compel her to turn down same-sex weddings, um, should be able to do that. Uh, the court said that uh, the city's public accommodations, City of Louisville's public accommodations fairness ordinance, uh, was unconstitutional, and that as applied to this particular uh, uh, wedding photographer, because it forced her to create something uh, that violated her. Uh, beliefs and forced her uh, to say things or send messages, put messages out there that violated her beliefs, and that the uh, the law cannot do that constitutionally. You know these public accommodations ordinances that were originally put in place to prevent hotels and restaurants uh, from barring service to members of the opposite race. Uh, you know those things have been extended over the years, and expanded quite a bit to also bar. Uh, from bar businesses from not serving, you know, same-sex couples or, you know, um, or people who um, are transgender, those kind of things. So, so here, that's what the, uh, that's what the city is claiming. Uh, but here is, it's, it's in a, uh, the court said that uh, in these particular situations, the government can't force singers or writers or photographers. You might as well say any kind of, creative people to articulate messages they don't support. I remember there was a, a previous decision from, seems like a couple of years ago now, out of Kentucky, where there was a T-shirt uh, printer who uh, would not print messages on T-shirts that were offensive to his religious beliefs, and the court upheld uh, that particular uh, decision by the T-shirt manufacturer or printer as well. So, these are going down the right tack, it seems like, and the and the uh, Supreme Court has a case before it now out of Colorado, uh, a similar case with a wedding photographer and blogger named uh, 
uh, Lori Smith, who lost in the Colorado courts, but is before the Supreme Court now, they'll hear oral arguments on that this fall. So this kind of goes all the way back to the Jack Phillips and Masterpiece Cake Shop decision, also out of Colorado. Uh, he ultimately won that case, but on the very narrow grounds. So the court is now being asked to consider uh, this whole issue again, and they took up the case. And so I expect that that case will uh, resolve some of these issues that have been hanging around for about uh, a decade now. Yeah, I, the the continuation of these conversations in the culture, it does seem as if this has been sort of moved to the back burner um, for lots of folks uh, in the culture, but because for them it's a foregone conclusion, um, but for people who labor in these industries and whose livelihood comes from um, services that are provided in particular, uh, you know, t- to weddings, but also, let's say, you know, um, photographing um, baptismal ceremonies or, I mean, there are lots of contexts where a Christian photographer or videographer might resist providing services because of what is actually taking place. Um, and in the same way that I think uh, pastors have the right to not marry people who they don't think should be married for whatever reason, um, or baptizing people who they don't think should be baptized for whatever reason, I don't think photographers should be forced to um, provide their creative services um, in those contexts either. If they have a conscious, you know, an object, an objection based on conscience that's based on a religious belief. So I think um, being able to demonstrate that your religious beliefs are sincerely held um, and that you apply this standard consistently, like that's really important. We need to um, not just, you know, whip out our, uh, uh, you know, our objection to something periodically, like it needs to be where we live and how we walk. We need to be able to demonstrate that this is a sincerely held belief applied over time. But um, but I think it's fair to say that people shouldn't be forced to use their creative uh, talents in application to things that they don't um, that they don't believe in. I think it's exactly right, Carmen. You know, we go all the way when we go back to Jack Phillips, Jack never said that he wouldn't sell a cake to a same-sex couple or someone who's transgender for that effect. But his his point was that he could not design a special cake for a same-sex wedding. So it had to do with his his expression, not with his provision of a, uh, a product to someone. Uh, so this is not about denying uh, a product, denying a sale to someone who is um, homosexual or transgender. It's about uh, being forced to speak a message that you disagree with, sincerely disagree with. Steve West is the editor of the Liberties Roundup for World Magazine. You can find the Liberties Roundup and sign up to receive it in your inbox at World News Group, WNG.org. Steve, as always, thank you so much. Thank you, Carmen. Hey, uh, we're going to take a moment to hear some upwards from Max Lucado. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Hello, Detroit Auto Worker. Let me thank you for your time. You work a 40-hour week for a living. Oh, I like that Labor Day music. Paul Perot, good job, man. You are welcome. Got more of it. 
could just listen to this song. I like that. This is this is my kind of music. When you ask me what kind of music do I like, whatever this kind of music is, that's the kind of music that I like. Country, country. Oh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Whoever that is that's singing and Alabama. whatever it is they're singing, I like it. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we could just have an Alabama playlist. Right. I like it. <laughs> they have a lot. But so that, we're good. Could you put a star on that? Could you just put a star? Does Carmen likes this kind of music? Well, I know you do. I already knew that. Well, I mean, you know, you're always asking, like, what kind of music do I want for bumpers? I like that. Whatever that is, I like that. A little bit of country. It's got a good, okay. It's got a good vibe. It's got a little, it's got a good beat. I like the words. I like the sentiment. <laughs> All right, so uh, it's almost Labor Day weekend. Like, we're sneaking up on it really, really fast. And so, um, yeah, today's a good day to say thank you to someone who labors in a way that serves you. So who is that? Um, maybe thank the people today in labor and delivery. That's a, that's a, it's an easy one. That's an easy Labor Day, um, you know, act of gratitude or, or note of gratitude. How about that person who drops off stuff at your house from Amazon or FedEx or the postal service or whatever. Like that's a person laboring on your behalf. Yes. The mechanic, the plumber, um, the, uh, the person who cleans out your gutters, whoever that is. I mean, that might be a person in your household. That is a labor of love right there and, and hard to do. So let's be thinking about all the ways that others labor on our behalf and let's thank them this Labor Day weekend. All right. Dan DeWitt is going to join us. Um, we like to talk with Dan about, bringing the Christian worldview to bear on the conversations of the day. And he's going to do that in relationship to a popular country song. Okay, I don't even know. Is this a popular country song? I I don't know that I've ever heard it, but I bet we're about to hear part of it. Long-haired son of a sinner. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, a shout out uh, to uh, Kathy who texted in on the text line. You can do so as well in response to my who are we um, thanking for their labor this Labor Day weekend. Kathy texted in at 877-933-2484. Today is garbage collection day for me. So I am thanking God for the person who does that labor. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And amen. Hey, Dan DeWitt is back. You can find uh, what we're talking about today at theolatte.com. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. All right. Uh, long-haired son of a, of a sinner. Apparently a popular Christian song, which apparently Paul tells me we are not playing on this program. Oh, popular country song. It's a country song. song, not a Christian song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you with your fancy words. Okay, so uh, tell us, Dan DeWitt, about the long-haired son of a sinner and why we're talking about it as a part of a worldview conversation. Well, first of all, Carmen, I have to apologize to the listening audience that if you hear some background noise, I have a hot water boiling. Um, I'm about nice. to make my AeroPress coffee for a refill. Ooh, and so nice. just know that you might hear some really good coffee being made. So I'll just say that up front. We like the sound of good coffee being made. So go right ahead. Yes. Carry on, sir. All right. So speaking of drinking beverages, um, in this case for me, caffeine, in the case of the song, the uh, lead singer of the band Jelly Roll, <laughs> the country music band, says in the song, I'm only one drink away from the devil. And the song is about his restlessness, um, about how he 
finds his way to the highway to try and find he's chasing the the white lines of the highway trying to find um some peace of mind he talks about alcohol use he talks about taking pills and these are all ways to try and help his restless soul find some peace and in a moment of just brutal honesty in the song he talks about his relationship with god and what he says i think really resonates with the way a lot of us um, in our more honest moments actually feel about God, or better put, how God feels, what we think about how God feels about us. And he says that God is going to at first hate him. And then he says, but eventually he'll save me. Paul said he had a segment queued up. Is that still possible? I do. I have the chorus if that's what you want. Hit it, Paul. I'm just a long-haired son of a sinner Searching for new ways I can get gone I'm a pedal to the highway If you ever wonder why we write these songs I'm only one drink away from the devil I'm only So if you're just tuning in, you've not accidentally changed your station away from Faith Radio to a country station, although Carmen likes country music we've discovered earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that that song, in all honesty, expresses what we sometimes feel. God really doesn't like us. And what we need to be reminded of today, that the bad news of the gospel is that that's right. That sentiment is right. God does not, in our own accept us. We've offended him because of our sin, but God doesn't hate us. So our way into a relationship with God is not by earning it, that eventually God will kind of like us. Even as Christians who understand salvation, I think sometimes we treat God as though he doesn't really like us. The beautiful thing of the gospel is that in Christ, God not, God not only likes us, he loves us, and he's not waiting for us to get better to love us. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, I like the, you know, you're right. We have offended God with our sin and and God doesn't like that. Um, but we're wrong if we feel like God doesn't love us because God God loves you. God wants desperately to be restored to a relationship with you. And God's actually done everything necessary to accomplish that through Jesus Christ Um you know, who's not the long-haired son of a sinner, but the long-haired son of God. That would be the answer song to, to this song. That, that's right. And, but, you know, I think we do. I, I like to tell my students when we, we talk about the doctrine of God and how God is all-knowing. I, I find great comfort in the fact that God's all-knowing in light of our salvation. Because you think about the moment that a person trusts Christ. And for some people, there's this really definitive like calendar date. It was here. And for others, it's, you know, there's a period of time where they're thinking about it. And, and at some point they came to believe in Jesus. Uh, but regardless, for any of us, whether it's a calendar date or a period of time where we know God was working and we just came to believe in him, when God accepted us through our belief in the gospel, what the Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, when that happens, 
God saves you knowing everything, everything about you. And that means that there will never be some future act, some future sin, some future attitude that will surprise God. There's never going to be a moment where God thinks, oh, wait a minute. What did I get into? This is not a good deal on my part. The reality is, for all of us, it's not a good deal for God if somehow it's based on what we do, because we can never measure up. On the other hand, if God knows everything, then that means God's never going to regret having forgiven me. There will never be a moment that God regrets you. And if you're in Christ, then you have every confidence that he who started a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. It's not at first he's going to hate me and then I'll get him to love me. It's, as I said earlier, we were sinners and Christ still died for us. I think um, it'd be a good exercise for us today to to sort of spend some time thinking about our doctrine of God. What is my doctrine of God? I mean, my doctrine of God would start with God is. <laughs> my doctrine of God would start with God is, and then hmm. I'd, I'd probably have some paragraphs, you know, God is holy, God is love, God is good, God is true, God is beauty, God is one. Um, I might talk about the attributes or characteristics of God, I mean, in terms of my doctrine of God. Would I be on track, Dan, if, if in thinking about my doctrine of God, that was the direction that I went? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think that, and, and to the oneness of God that you mentioned, all of those attributes are somehow... Um, as, as one person has said, all of God's attributes are present in any of God's attributes. And so mm. when we see God's judgment, um, and sometimes we'll have like this kind of divided view of God, that here God's, this is the angry God, this is the loving God, that when we see God's judgment, that even that is is love. If we see it in the proper perspective, if God is one and he's acting in a way that we see judgment coming, it's also a God of love who's acting. And so I think that when we think about all of God's many attributes to come back to the fact that what's very, very clear in Scripture is the oneness of God. And so in God, in forgiving us of our sin, it's not that he's just in a good mood, (laughs) right, that God's having a good day. So I'll forgive you today. You better not cross me tomorrow. It's all of God who knows everything about us who chooses to adopt us, which is such a beautiful thing. And I I think if Christians are being honest, this country song gets it wrong, but it gets it wrong in the kind of way that we often are prone to get God wrong. We are prone to see God somehow as something other than he revealed himself, as a God who's holy, who demands justice, but who's a loving father, who's forgiven us and loves us so much that he judged our sin in Christ. And the, the unbelievable thing The too good to be true thing about the gospel is that though I've offended God, that he has made a way that I am now his. And when he looks at me, he looks at me and you and everyone listening who's a believer. He looks at us with the same love as he looks at the son, because we are in the son. And we have to constantly, as Martin Luther said, we just have to remind ourselves of that every single day. So I hope going into this Labor Day weekend, um, infuse your outlook with some gospel hope. If it were up to you, God would never accept you, but it's not up to you. He doesn't hate you. In Christ, he loves you and he's adopted you and he looks at you the same way he looks at his son. All right, I'm adding to my list. God is sovereign. God is infinite. God is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. God is unchanging or immutable. God is righteous. God is merciful. And 
God is not too good to be true. God is both fully good and fully true. That would be my, where I would head in my doctrine of God conversation for the day. Yeah, that's so good. It's so helpful. All right, thinking about theology over coffee, that is Theo Latte. You can find what we're talking about today and the article about the long-haired son of a sinner at theolatte.com. We're going to continue our conversation with Dan DeWitt here in just a moment. I want you to think about this. It is September. When you think about September, what comes to mind? Hmm, I'm thinking about... um pumpkin spice. There's probably other thoughts I should be having as well. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of what we do on live radio every day. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you at myfaithradio.com. Right now, we're inviting you to share your Faith Radio story. What do you love about Faith Radio? What do you love about Mornings with Carmen? How has this program changed the way you think or the way you live, the way you engage others in the conversations of the day. We really do want to hear from you. Your story could encourage someone else and certainly glorify God. So share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leave us a message today. Again, thanks for listening. Nothing wrong with a hard hat and a hammer. Kind of blue and sticks this world together. Hands of steel. Thank you, Paul, for the music today. Dan DeWitt is here. We're talking about uh, things on the weekend, or it's now the Worldview Reader, not just for the weekend. Um, the Worldview Reader, which you can find at theolatte.com. Um, Dan, tell us about Once Upon a September. It's September. It is September. And when I think of Labor Day, my parents always made me work. And I, it isn't, isn't the point kind of rest? I don't know. My parents never, they instilled that Labor Day was for labor. <laughs> but um, in other September news, it was a Sunday in September when the most influential Christian thinker of the 20th century turned from his atheism to faith in God. And so on a Sunday in September over 90 years ago, C.S. Lewis went for a walk that changed his life. And he was walking with two friends, Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien. And then another lecturer at Oxford University, Hugo Dyson, and their conversation turned to myth, the kind of stories that C.S. Lewis loved, also turned to reality. What's the relationship between the two? How do we think about these powerful stories that move us? And then also, how does it explain or perhaps give us insights into what's real? So as they walked, the wind picked up, Lewis tuned in. And his restless atheism was giving way to belief in something other than a material universe, but turning his thoughts to God. And he later described this this conversation with Tolkien and Dyson, and Dyson these two friends of his. Um, he said that they were the immediate human causes of his conversion. So as we think about Lewis's, you know, powerful conversion from atheism to theism on once upon a September, I think we should also think about the power of friendship to point people to God and the power of going for a walk and having a meaningful conversation. So that happened over 90 years ago, um, once upon a September. Chad says um, September is for duck hunting. <laughs> Can you hear me pouring my coffee right now, Carmen? <gasps> 
We can. And somebody asked um, what sort of fancy um, coffee is Dan making? And I said he's making AeroPress, which is apparently like scientifically the best coffee out there. It like is they, very, very, it is yeah, very so, good. So tell them how it works because there's people listening who don't know what AeroPress coffee is. And so they're wondering what you're doing. So an AeroPress and, you know, there's a... It's a device. Press. There's a yeah. French press that you would, you know, pour coffee into and the water sits with the grounds. And But the problem with that is it gets kind of sooty. You get like kind of the like particles in, in your cup of coffee, even though French presses are a really good way to, to make coffee. An AeroPress avoids all that. And so you have to boil water and then there's like a little tube you put on top of your coffee cup with your coffee grinds in it and you pour that hot water in right i'm making it right on top of my coffee cup you pour it in let it sit for about a minute so i have it steeping currently if you could smell the wonderful <laughs> aroma of this amazing kenyan coffee um, from good folks coffee based out of louisville kentucky and uh, and then there's a little a little cap on it and you just press it down at the right moment and your coffee cup is full of amazing amazing coffee that, and where are the grounds they stay in the little tube in fact, the, the little tube has a filter at the bottom. Hmm. So as you're pushing it okay. down, it's being filtered at, through at the bottom. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So there you go. That's the uh, coffee Dan's having this morning. Hey, what else is on um, on the Worldview Reader for us this week? So I have a number of, as I'll often do, you know, there will be something that I'll write about. And I'll think, you know, I'll share some additional links with that. So I have a few links about C.S. Lewis. Um I have a link from the Rolling Stones of a rock artist who talks about um, from Zeppelin, who talks about his love of of Lewis and Tolkien and how he was embarrassed about that. Um, I have an article about C.S. Lewis and myth and how that related to how he thought about Christianity is this one story that has power in terms of it affecting our emotions and the way we think about the world, but how Christianity actually is true. So there's a few C.S. Lewis links. I have a link to an article called Four Types of Atheism that Paul sent Mm. me and shared with me, and I thought was really helpful for people to think about their friends who might not believe in God and how to be nuanced in the way they respond to them. So I would encourage people to check that out. And then I have a couple links to different articles um, from Christians thinking about how we should think about, thinking about thinking, how we should think about um, loan forgiveness. And so I'm sure you've talked about that on the program at some point this mm-hmm. week. So, hey, there's um, uh, many types of believers, only one type of atheist. Um, oh, not one type of atheist. All right. So um, can you tell us like super quick? Or, I mean, is it possible to summarize what the four are? I will give you oh, the, they're the, the non-religious who just don't mm-hmm. identify with any religion, but they might might still have some belief in God but often are assumed to be atheists. There are emotional atheists, and those are people who've been burned by church and mm-hmm. really are deconstructing as a result of what they've experienced. Social atheists, people who actually do believe in God, but think it's it's wrong to talk about faith in public, and so you might assume they're atheists because they never mm-hmm. talk about it. And then finally, the author talks about anti-theists, and those are people who not only don't believe in God, but people who oppose actively, either through Facebook comments or even you know to go so far as publishing books attacking religion, um, they oppose actively belief in God. That's fascinating. All right, that is that is so helpful and so good, and already helps me think about 
why different people respond um, differently to, you know, to things that we might say or claims that we might make, um, either aggressively or in a way that's disinterested or in a way that they would, you know, they would give a nod to, but they wouldn't give any sort of um, verbal uh, or personal support to in, in a public way. So it's very, very helpful. All right, Dan, as always, uh, thank you so much. That's Dan DeWitt. You can find what we talked about today and so much more at Theolatte.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, thank you to all of you driving the big rigs up and down the road today and the small rigs, not just the big rigs, the small rigs today as well. And for those guys that are um, driving the trains. I know they're actually conducting the trains, but I appreciate um, them today as well. All right, quick, quick uh, farm report here today. Bumper crop of tomatoes that need to be picked. No kids available today to do that. So that's on my list. Uh, Jim is hunting in Colorado. That trip has begun that annual um, exercise in sometimes futility, but hopefully this year's success. Good progress on the houses being built for our three adult kids down the street. Footers dug yesterday for the third. Um, the basement is uh, not, uh, the footers are poured and the basement dug out and the block ready to go up in the second one and the block already up in the third one. So making good progress. Um, and this has been an exercise in rearranging the furniture. My friend Shelly is um, is at my house, and um, she came a day early for Carmen Camp, which starts uh, after the show today, for the weekend. And um, yesterday, she decided that we should rearrange the furniture on pretty much in the living room and family room of my house to make it like more like a great room. And so that was fun. So maybe you need to rearrange the furniture today, and maybe it's the furniture of your mind. Have you rearranged the furniture in your mind lately? How are you thinking about what you're thinking about? How are you walking your faith out into the world that God so loves in ways that honor Jesus? Let's um, let's be transformed today by the very word of God as we integrate it and allow the Holy Spirit to work it into our lives like good leaven. All right, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Oh, and a surprise guest. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.